You're listening to the Taming Hindrances Podcast. Conversations about self-awareness and mental health, as well as a dive into this thing known as spirituality. We talk about everything and anything on the podcast, so come get triggered. Welcome to another episode of the Taming Hindrances Podcast. As always, my name's Phil. I'm the host and the creator of the podcast, that big buffoon with a giant beard who talks about stuff on the interwebs. Um, I got another episode for you. I got another topic of discussion. I got another definition lined up. Thank you, Merriam-Webster's Dictionary, as always, for the definition we're about to use. Uh, tarot cards. Use them again. I'm liking this thing. I'm liking this whole, you know, using the tarot deck to come up with a topic and then just winging it because that's kind of what I'm doing. Um, but it's interesting because I'm starting to see like cards that I never saw before. It's just this very interesting process of getting familiar with the tarot, getting familiar with the tarot deck, what it does, what it talks about, ways to read it, all of these different things. Um, quick shout out for uh, Mystical Manga Guidebook by Ron, R-A-N-N, and text by Barbara Moore because that's what I use. Um it works for me. I like the art. It makes sense to me. So jumping into it, uh, you've seen it by the, t- the, the title of the episode. Today's topic of discussion is mastery. And the cards that got me there were kind of interesting. Uh, first off, the uh, first card came out was the King of Wands. And the King of Wands is a representation of an individual who likes to be active um, and is good at being active, has the skills and the knowledge and the know-with-all to, to do, to take action. Um, but typically they like to take big action, like big, broad things, um, big causes, big events, that type of action, and gets really frustrated with the mundane, the smaller. So you can start to think kind of like, macrocosm the king of wands is someone who is acting in the macrocosm the big big moving shaking all that stuff next up was uh the queen of cups now what i will say before we get into the queen of cups the king of wands because they get frustrated with the little mundane stuff can often over often overlook like emotions and like the little the little things that go into to action uh whereas the queen of cups complete opposite of that queen of cups is an individual who She's very intimate about things. She's very good at getting to know people, bringing people together, connecting, having emotional connections. Some might say she's very intuitive, very psychic in that sense. And she enjoys that. She'll often, though, forget to kind of not look inward of herself and draw conclusions in that direction. You know, she might get too caught up in her own reactions, her own emotions uh, in that sense. So these are kind of two opposite entities here almost um in fact i mean you know wands are um fire and cups denote uh water so just right there we have the elements if i start bringing that i've never really talked about the elements when i talk about the cards but each suit has an element that goes along with it and the element of the wand suit is fire and the element of the cup suit is water and, and obviously those are clashing elements kind of opposites so these two cards to me represent the macrocosm and the microcosm of self-awareness of of self of mental health of the things that i started off with this podcast talking that i've i wouldn't say i've gotten away from them though but i just haven't focused on more i've been focused on this whole thing known as spirituality well these two cards are kind of the representation of like the macro and microcosm of 
of people, of emotions and of awareness and, and introverted versus extroverted, all of that together in one. Well, the next card up is the nine of cups. And this is where I kind of got, as the tarot deck often does to me, it threw me sideways for a little bit. And it threw me sideways with the nine of cups because the nine of cups uh, used to be represented as the wish card, but really is the, you put in the effort, you did the work, awesome job. Here's your reward card. Like you did it. Here you go. This is what you get. You get something because you did it. Well done. Um, well, that doesn't really make sense here though until, not that it doesn't make sense. It didn't give me a defined option of what to talk about until I pulled the next card. And as often as the tarot deck does for me, threw a major arcana card at me. And the major arcana card it threw at me was the first, uh, the first card or the first person the fool meets on their journey. So we all know about the fool. The fool starts off their journey where all the fool... We're just this person with a bag and, you know, we're taking a little journey. We got a little buddy with us, typically represented as a dog in the cards, but some little companion and we're going off to, to learn about ourselves and meet the world. And the first person we run into is this person known as the magician. And the magician is a representation of an individual who is seeking mastery. They want to know all of the secrets. They want to know how everything works and they want to know it so that they can use their power. They can understand how they work and then use that to, to accomplish all their goals, to get those nine of cups moments, those you've put in the effort. Now you get the reward. So all of these cards together, not just the magician, but all of them together represent the mastery of self. And remember, I talk about self as being the body, the mind, and the spirit. We have three health bodies. And putting them all together is what will allow us to have mastery of awareness or mastery of self or even mastery of the world. This is talking about the microcosm and the macrocosm of everything. That The magician is surrounded by all the elements, all the suits, you know, the fool in going on this journey, the first person for them to meet is the magician, right? And imagine, imagine that you decide to go off on a journey, right? And you got all your crappy gear ready to go. Uh, you're just going to go experience the world. And the first person you run into is a person you almost can't even fathom because they're just this magician. They have full control of the elements. They're fully in control of themselves, or, or at least it appears that way. And they're just doing all these wondrous things that you have no idea how to accomplish. That's the first person you meet on your journey. This instills the idea of looking outward to look inward. And that's that kind of King of Wands, King of uh, Queen of Cups, that clash of the macrocosm and microcosm. And it, it's this want for mastery. It's not quite a need yet, though. Remember, I've talked about needs and wants. You get what you need, not exactly what you want. But it builds this. It's like the first little grain. You know, it's like a kid growing up and they have their heroes, right? That's kind of what this represents. Our heroes, as we're growing up, those people that we would quote unquote call the archetype of the hero, that's what the magician represents to the fool on that journey. The first person you look up to, the first person that's doing something that you're like, oh, I want to be like that. That's amazing. We consider those people masters or having mastery. What's the definition of mastery? The definition of mastery as a noun is the authority of master or to have dominion, uh, the upper hand in the contest or competition, 
superiority, ascendancy. Um, there's a lot of words we're going to get into because it, it kind of goes real broad and real deep real quick. Um, next up, possession or display of great skill or technique. I think that's how we typically would use mastery is, is that definition of possession, possession uh, or display of great skill or technique. Also, skill or knowledge that makes one master of a subject to have command over something. These are kind of base level stuff, um, but they it mastery kind of alludes to very much deeper, grander. Um, I I won't put any connotation on stuff. I won't say like darker or, uh, but it alludes to other things. Right off the bat, it alludes to something called dominion. Well, the definition of dominion, uh, the law term is supreme authority, which would be the granting of sovereignty. Um, but dominion is also used with, you know, when we talk about in Christianity, we talk about the angels. They have dominion. Each, each angel has a dominion over something. Um, there's often, um, we use it in, in governance, uh, specifically self-governing bodies like commonwealths uh, of nations. Um, there's states in the United States of America that are considered commonwealths and that's to denote the governance order there. Dominion means absolute ownership essentially, uh, which is why an angel could have a dominion over something while someone could have dominion over someone else or control their sovereignty. One can be sovereign in and of themselves. We talk about self-sovereignty. So big, big turn there, right? And that's, that's the first thing mastery leads to, you know, the authority of something or mastery over something. So to be master of something is to be uh, authoritative over the dominion of it. And dominion is often in fantasy terms um, used as kind of like, a, like specifically I talk about D&D &D a lot. So we'll talk about D&D. &D. You can have different dominions and dominions would be like the realms of things. Um, but in a, uh, a magical sense, if you will, if you just want to put it that way. So you could have the dominion of fire, the dominion of water, the dominion of air, the dominion of earth. These would be the, the sovereignties of those things where things draw power from. Um, to have dominion would be to have a domain, which is an important, another definition here, um, a territory over which a dominion occurs, but it's complete and absolute ownership of it. That's, that's really what it comes down to. And the reason I'm bringing up domain and dominion is when you go to the definition of domain, Merriam-Webster's dictionary, you'll find that many things have domain, mathematics, physics, biology, biology, biochemistry, computers. Each one of these has a definition for which they use domain in. And that's why domain is an important concept. Um, when we talk about mastery, we also talk about the upper hand in contest or competition. This is to have superiority. This is the act of using one's mastery. And one of the terms that's used in that is ascendancy. It's the governing or controlling influence. With ascendancy, we have to talk about ascendance. And ascendance is, talk, is defined by ascendancy and when we use it in that setting, we end up looking more towards something like hegemony. And hegemony is preponderant influence or authority over others to be dominant, to have domination. This is why I'm, this is why, you know, we started with mastery, but we're getting more into this dominion and how that all works. Uh, hegemony, the noun is also the social, cultural, 
ideological or economic influence exerted by a dominant group. So why did I go over all of that? These cards are a warning. They're also a prediction. They're also, the cards do many things. They can try to help guide you. They can try to warn you. They can try to give you, uh, give you that shove, give you that push, give you a little um, uh, confidence in what you're doing. With the idea of clarity, that's, you know, when I, I, I do the original three cards and then I usually pull a clarifying card. Um, so you can clarify any card when you're, when you're working with tarot, uh, you can, you know, pull cards in a, in a pattern, certain ways, uh, certain positions of cards will mean certain things. And then you, you can pull what's called a clarifying card, which is, or not pull, but I, I don't pull cards. I, I let them jump out of the deck, but everyone has their own methods. When you get a clarifying card, it's to do just that. It's to clarify the meaning behind something or the warning or, you know, and that's why the magician here clarified all of these things coming together. What is the understanding of the macrocosm and microcosm bring on? It brings on the, the nine of cups. It brings on the, the, here's your reward job. Well done. Here you go. You get the cake and the ice cream and the cherry. You get the whole thing, but you put the effort in. That's why you get it. You also get the magician realm of things. You get the mastery over it. And when we talk about mastery in modern society, uh, even in, in non-modern society, uh, specifically in non-modern society, we used to talk about the mastery of martial arts, right? Or the mastery or dominion over others. This is what we talk about when we talk about monarchies and, and we talk about ruling parties. We talk about domain or um, the authority over something. You know, we had class culture of barons and um, fiefdoms and all that stuff. We had some sort of hierarchical evidence of a ruling body. Well, that's macrocosm in the realm of people. In the realm of people, we have countries. That's kind of our hierarchy. We go, you know, people, land, domain, all of that grouped up into a country. And the country has its domain or its um, its hierarchy of leaders, and that goes up and up and up and blah 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 blah. And we've made a mess of it ever since culture began. But with all of that, we forget one thing: we forget that it starts with the person, right? It starts with you can't have domain over people if there's no people. This is the warning here in these cards. To have mastery, you must have both the macrocosm and the microcosm. The magician's biggest fault is not learning about themselves, not being introverted enough, being too extroverted. Um, in the journey, when the, the fool meets the magician, part of the warning the magician can impart is, you know, have you pushed yourself far enough yet? Like, have you looked further into your skills, into what you're good at? Um, are you stuck in your comfort zone? That's the warning the magician imparts because the next card that the fool is going to meet is the high priestess. And she's going to teach the fool all about what happens internally, what's going on inside. So 
there's a duality there. There's always some sort of duality, which is Trinity. I've talked about that before. So these cards, when we're talking about mastery, are really talking about what's both the macrocosm and microcosm, because without those two things, we won't have balance. And if we don't have balance, we don't truly have mastery. Um, in fact, most mastery of all skills comes down to learning the balance of those skills, learning the principalities of them, learning what, what is principle, and using those with one's own ability. Um, in the martial arts communities, a master is not someone you can never demean, like say you, you can never call yourself a master. If someone says like, I'm master so-and-so and they're the ones calling themselves that and no one else is, they're not a master of shit. <laughs> you know, in, you can't become a master in the martial arts unless people start calling you master, which means you're reliant on others to be a master, just like a king or queen relies on the peasants to be kings of queens of them. Um, ruling parties who say they have domain, say they have dominion, um, or have ascendancy, they require those below or, or the land. There's always another requirement to make those things possible. Thus, we look at the definition of hegemony, the social, cultural, ideological or economic influence exerted by a dominant group to be a dominant group. One must have a master of something. They must be masters of whatever the hell they are of the group of. And I would, I would challenge you to look at those who actually are masters in today's society of anything and call themselves a group of something. Um, there's very few, I would say totally that actually are masters of what they are a group of a group is just an organization that's claiming something. And I would say that our political structures are not masters of anything. They're just a bunch of random people who happen to get elected due to whatever circumstance that is. I'm not going to get into that argument because it's a vast broad argument that both sides have some really good fucking arguments about right now. Um, but are they truly masters? You know, what are politicians masters of? Are they masters of politics? Well, you have to look at what politics are. Better yet, like what are their skill set to make them masters of that? Are they good coercers? Are they good orators? Are they good at um, are they good at making decisions? Or are they good at making people believe they're good at making decisions? You know, these are the questions we have to ask. We have to ask, you know, a a group that's calling them a health group or health um, advocacy group, or, um, you know, I'm going to play both sides here. So you have health advocacy groups and you also have, you know, something like, dare I say the CDC or um, a health journal or a peer review group. Are they masters of this or are they indoctrinated? Which means they are just a group that's advocating for one type of, of idea. Are they led by something? This would be, you know, we could ask, is the Catholic Church a mastery of Christianity? No, they're a mastery of Catholicism, which is not Christianity as a whole. It's their understanding of it. So you have to look at this understanding of mastery to better understand 
the macrocosm, what's really going on around you. And you also need to do it inside of your own self. So, you know, going back to the martial arts stuff, we would say a master of something is someone who's put 10,000 hours in, right? And, I, and that's not just in martial arts. We've used that kind of round 10,000 hour figure for all sorts of things. Um, my favorite is the bell curve that represents, and someone came up with um, what this actually is. And I apologize, I don't know the name, but there's a bell curve of mastery. And it starts out as, you know, you have the, you have the complete non-practicer person who thinks they know everything and they, they would be like, Oh yeah, I know. Oh yeah. 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 Oh, yep. Yep. Oh yeah. That's exactly, you know, that kind of like, they're just so confident in it's a confidence curve. The bell curve is the confidence curve. They're just so confident in what they're talking about when they really don't know shit about anything. Um, and then that bell curve dips to the intermediary or the person who is the journeyman, if you will. So you have like, you know, the beginner, the novice, the novice, the beginner, the uh, apprentice journeyman, um, fellow and master that's not all of them but you know somewhere around there so with that you have this bell curve of confidence and the intermediary the persons that's like in the middle of their career or in the middle of learning the skill or they have very little confidence because they've learned enough to know i don't know anything and that's part of the microcosm of learning about oneself is to get to that point of wow i really don't know anything. And I think that's one of the first steps along what you could measure as mastery. It's a great bell curve for that. The confidence level of like, are you confident in your skills? If you're not, if you're always self-checking, double-checking, rechecking, triple-checking the things you're doing, but also accomplishing like the correct answers or, or the correct action, correct way of thinking, correct mentality, objectively or subjectively, I really don't care here in this, in this um, set of ideas you're probably at the intermediary stage of being like, yeah, like I kind of, I kind of get it, but I get enough that I know I don't know anything about it. So your confidence lacks or it wanes. And then as you become a master again, then you build confidence again, not arrogance though, you build confidence. So that's the bell curve of confidence when it comes to skill and mastery is what comes after learning enough to know that you didn't know anything about it, but then to learn the rest to be like, Yes. Now I do know something about it. This microcosm, macrocosm, or macrocosm, microcosm of mastery is very important because without it, there can be no society. There can be no culture. Remember, I've talked before about how culture is a spiritual representation. Um, culture is spiritual. It's inherent to those in a culture. Some might even say that a animal species has culture, um, has cultural domain in, in that sense of how does the lioness just get her cubs to learn how to hunt? How do they know, you know, how does the bird know when mom and dad kick it out of the nest? It's got to fly. Like how do those things come about? Well, that would be spiritual by nature. Um, Ken Wheeler, a theory of apotheosis on YouTube, uh, has explained that um, you can find that link at uh, taminghindrances.com slash archive. Uh, Ken Wheeler, he's on there. If you just search the archive, his YouTube channel's on there. Um, he talks about how, in his understanding, which I, I think is pretty damn accurate, to be honest, 
the water molecules, how we pass on these things, uh, the, the actual, the physical, how the water molecule is designed, uh, it's a dipole, is one of the ways we pass on that type of information. That's just that inherent understanding. I would say that means that it's inside of what's known as a domain. And that domain could be referenced as cultural. So if we just bring that back up, just very surface level this, back up to the spiritual presence of culture, Chinese culture, Japanese culture, Indian culture, Hindu culture, Russian culture, uh, Czechoslovakian culture, uh, Ukrainian culture, name a country, give it a culture, but then even go like bigger than that. We have Eastern and Western, we have Northern and Southern, we have European, we have the Americans, we have the Southern, South Americans. You, so you could do it continentally, you could do it country-wise, you could even do it by state in America, you know, so you can make it as macrocosm or microcosm as you want. We have this idea of culture and you can dice it up as much as you want, but it's still there and it becomes a spiritual understanding. You know, when someone grows up in the South in America, they're just generally Southern and you can just generally be like, yeah, that's Southern mentality. That's Northern mentality. That's Western or Eastern mentality. Same thing with just growing up in China. Um, you can tell when people come from different provinces, provinces, not, you don't even need to go by the dialect. You don't need to go by Fukunese or uh, Mandarin or Cantonese or, you know, you don't need to go by the dialects. You can do the same thing in Japan. You know, somebody from the different prefectures just generally have that cultural prefecture. That's how we make up these usually funny things. Um, that we kind of break societal understanding into like um, I'm always blanking on words nowadays. It's really getting frustrating how often I blank on words in this podcast. Um, not idioms. I want to say idioms, but it's not idioms. Although I guess that kind of fits. Um, but these like different cultural understandings that we kind of, uh, we put people into and they started off to be very funny because they were accurate. And then we, we made them not funny because people got offended by them. And that's, that's understandable. I am not exactly sympathetic or empathetic to the idea that people get offended by things. I more so ask questions of to why. And remember, why is a why is a spiritual question. So when people talk about cultural norms, um, we, we often do so in a way that might be offensive. And the connotation there is what matters, both on the, the teller and the receiver. So if someone's, you know, talking about like, oh, those, you know, hicks and hillbillies, yeah, that's a negative connotation. They absolutely can be like, oh yeah, fuck you. Um, but it also can be taken the other way. Some people take that as like, yeah, I am, uh, you know, what about it? So that's not the combination of understanding I'm talking about here. Um, those are typically predisposed and taught unwarranted. And I'm still lacking on the damn the word I'm thinking of. And somebody's probably yelling at their uh, phone or, or, or speakers right now going like, dude, it's this. Um, we culturally don't have mastery of that understanding because mastery is the authority of a domain. And my argument here is that we don't have a human domain. 
but we're working on it to a level that I don't think people quite understand. Uh, if you follow Michio Kaku, um, who was a futurist, uh, he was recently on the Joe Rogan podcast. He used to do um, on the History Channel. He used to do like talking about the I forget what the, the name of, but it, essentially in the future, it would look like this. And he he's a futurist. He, he he gets together with other people and they think about like where technology might take us or where these social political understandings might take us. And in that understanding, in that group of people who are masters of many different things and they kind of all bring their stuff together to talk about it, they talk about how, you know, there are cultural representations or not, sorry, not cultural, um, species, you know, and the species would be a dominance of the planet. And that brings up a, there's a, there's a hierarchy there. There's a list. So, uh, I think, I don't remember if they do a type one, two or three or four or type A, B, C or whatever it is, but you know, you have type one building cities, understanding things, cultural, and I'm, I'm not, these aren't the classifications they use. I'm just giving a base value here. Type two might be, you know, being able to do kind of what we do, but not really what we do, but like support populace, have healthcare, you know, have mastery over the body. Like, you know, we don't have to worry about disease or illness and stuff like that. And then getting farther along, you would have mastery over the weather. You would have, we would start to have mastery over a planet. So if you want to talk about a species living on a planet, you know, that, that mastery would include the planet itself, our domain. Well, what kind of mastery do we have as humans? Very few, in fact. Um, if, we, if we looked about it really hard, I think we would say we have very few masteries. Uh, we, have many, we have many masters. But as a, as a full a, mic, a, a microcosm to macrocosm, microcosm, many masters. We have mathematicians. We have biologists. We have all of these things that we've created collegiate level coursing for, uh, or education for, we could have masters over. We have uh, masters of athletics. We have masters, all of these things. And even farther down, we have the microcosm of the mastery of the individual. We have people who are self-aware. We have people who are empathetic or sympathetic. We have people who are, I would dare say, psychic in, in some regard, who have mastery over themselves, their mentality, and how that works. We have one specific mastery as a, as a giant species. As, as humans, we have the mastery of warfare. We are masters of warfare. You know, in science fiction, we often like to talk about like, well, you know, if an alien race would invade and we, you know, I would dare say that given our kinetic technology, we're damn good at killing shit. We're really good at waging war. Warfare is a simulation of the mind. We're all war starts in the simulation of the mind. We're a master of that. We are born into war from day one. War for time, war for money, war for, uh, you know, war for domain, domain over land, domain over resources. Um, we are at war and we're born into it. So thus we become masters of it because it's constant and ever present. Here's the thing about mastery though. You can't be a master of something unless someone gives you that title. That's how that works. 
So even though we're born into war and we're really good at it, unless you go and train into it, you're not really a master of warfare. I'm not a master of anything. No one has ever given me the title of master. I'm a teacher of many things. Um, I've been given the title of teacher. People recognize me as a teacher in some cases. So I have titles like a Sifu. Um, not so much in the Japanese sense, so I really can't be called a sensei, but some people prefer to use that term. Whatever. Language-based. Doesn't matter. Um, at this point, it doesn't matter. But I'm not... I'm not a master of anything. No one's been given, no one's given me that title. When it comes to that differentiation, I'm dancing around a circle here that is the magician, is the person who is really good at something or many things, but aren't aware of themselves. That person can't be a master. Mastery is attained by the possession or display of great skill or technique. Skill or knowledge that makes one a master of a subject. The measurement structure there is that it must require someone else to measure it because the individual can't. In fact, if the individual is claiming that they are a master, they're at the very beginning stages. They haven't actually learned anything about it because they're unable to understand that they don't know anything about it. Which is why, in the end, mastery ends up turning into sageness or turning into a humble rapport or typically one who may talk down about themselves or, or refute the idea of being a master. That's often where it ends up. So in that regard, yeah, humans are the masters of warfare. So in sci-fi, when we talk about like, oh yeah, the aliens are coming. Yeah, they might have better technology and that's maybe why we, we would lose overall. But I'm pretty sure we're going to figure something out. It's what we do. We're in we're, we are ingenious when it comes to warfare. We definitely know how to blow shit up. We just don't know if that's the right answer. Are we masters of diplomacy? Absolutely not. We are absolutely not the masters of diplomacy. If we were, there would be no wars. There would be no necessity for it. There would be very little strife. Um, we would have dominion over ourselves and we're not quite there yet i think this is where we're going in fact if we look at you know if we want to get mysticism about it, if we want to get you know talk about the other the woo woo um we've moved out of the age of pisces and we're moving into the age of aquarius and i've talked about that before but here's the breakdown the age of pisces is the pisces is represented as a school of fish i'm sorry yeah pisces is represented as a school of fish and all the fishies want to live together, swim together, do stuff together, build societies, blah, blah, blah. Um, in the age of Aquarius, that all goes away. And in the age of Aquarius, everyone has to become knowledgeable and wise and understand themselves because there is no school of fish. There's individual, there's sovereignty, there's domain over oneself, domain over one's family, domain over one's abode, that, you know, eminent domain. Um, that's where we get these terms from. 
there is no room in the age of Aquarius at the very end for those who would call themselves magicians without actually being able to perform magic. So thus we require mastery, but we require mastery at a level that we've never seen before. We require mastery of the elements. We require, require mastery of emotion. We require mastery of knowledge. We require mastery of wisdom. Difference between knowledge and wisdom is knowledge is the answer to the question. Wisdom is knowing where to look for that answer. We require mastery of the world. We, we require mastery in the age of Aquarius over weather so that we can grow crops whenever, wherever, however. We require mastery over the elements, you know, the chemical bonds. There are things in the age of Aquarius that will shock people because we've known them for quite a long time. The problem was the mastery, the dominion given to others. And that's the breakdown of the age of Aquarius. And it's a rough time for everybody. It's, it's hard to let go of not having to drive the car, not having to fly the plane, not having to pay attention. That's the fight we're in. That's the war we're in. You know, it's up to us now at this stage of the game of this stage of evolution or whatever you call, want to call it, any, any flag you want to put in the sand at this point to be masters of ourselves, to be the authority over ourselves, to pay attention to what we're eating, what we're doing, what we're saying, all of the things that every organization has warned about, but made the decision for you, you know, Yes, we can talk about the cardinal sins or the, the sins in general. But we've relied on other people to deal with that for us. That's what organized religion has provided, has provided a world in which you don't have to worry about your sins. You can just go talk to the priest, the pastor, or, you know, go do confession or, you know, go to, uh, you could do your daily prayers. You could talk to the rabbi. You could, you could talk to someone and have someone else deal with that shit. So you could go commit more sins so that you could come back and then pay a fee to have that taken care of for you. That fee could be time or talk or, or tithe. You know, we created that. That was the structure that organized religions provided the school of fish was that, yeah, you could just rely on somebody else to take care of it for you. That's not, not going to exist anymore. We've, these things are finite resources. Um, the ability to allow someone else to have mastery without you being a master of it is a finite resource. At some point in time, those people are either going to wake up and realize they are a master because other people have started calling them that. And then they are going to treat that situation in which they're either going to charge an astronomical amount of money for their skills or get fed up with all the people wanting something for nothing and just stop practicing. That happens constantly and has happened constantly throughout history. So, I mean, that's, we could talk about the Roman forum and I've talked about that before, how it's supposed to be a full circle and then got turned into a half circle. And then eventually we just kiboshed the whole shit and just turned it into a nightmare. But I've stepped on that podium one too many times, I think. Well, that's not true. But staying in line with this mastery thing, the, the ascendancy, let's, let's look at that. Maybe that help get this point across a little bit easier governing or controlling influence 
we have for the longest time given that over to the government. That's where big government came from. That's why we've gotten to the point where government is spending trillions upon trillions of dollars. Trillions with a T. Zero, 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 then a one. Trillion. Trillion. Trillions of dollars by the month at this point. They're just printing money and spending it like it's fucking nothing. It's literally worth less than the tree than they're using to print the actual dollar. That's where we're at. That only comes about when we just go, oh yeah, like somebody else will figure it out. Somebody else can have domain over that. Somebody That dies in the age of Aquarius. That's not allowed to happen anymore. You have to be mindful of it. Where this breaks down is people aren't ready and it's tough and it hurts. And it's really hard to have to put in all of the effort to become a master of something you know nothing about, nor did you want to know anything about, but has a huge effect on your life. That is the act of self-awareness. That is the act of being in control of both the physical, mental, and spiritual bodies to have the conversation between all three of them. That understanding has only been felt by certain individuals who oddly enough in my prediction will have a leg up on most. And I'm not, I'm not drawing a direct correlation as to these people are the same type of people, just that they've been through a similar situation. Individuals who have come out of the prison system and have had to learn to reassociate themselves into society are individuals who have had to learn how to remaster themselves, their surroundings. Ultimately, a lot fail because we do very little rehabilitation in the prison system. We just take away all their sovereignty. We take away all their domain and give them domain only over nothing um, and then hope they come out on the other side and figure it out. So that's that's like the, the shitty example, not that those people are shitty, just that that's like the... They have they're they have they're thrown into out of the Pisces into the Aquarius. They got to figure it out. And another example of that, I'm not saying these are the only ones, but these are pretty damn good examples, uh, is our veterans, who we do a terrible job of representing, supporting. You know, we're taking people out of a battlefield into another battlefield without letting them know that the battlefields are now different. That's, that's how I treat that situation. You know, if you're always at war, if you're moving from a kinetical war to a psychological war without being warned ahead of time that like, Hey, you're being dumped into a psychological warfare situation, but we're taking away all of the things that you would use to combat that your kinetics are now gone. You're no longer allowed to use kinetics, both fist or rifle knife, whatever it is, taking that away from you, but you're still at war. And also, we're getting rid of your chain of command. We're getting rid of all of your support structures as far as, you know, resources, be them physical to the meal or mental to the who to go to for the right answer. We're taking all that away. But we're leaving you on another battlefield. That's what we're doing to our vets, in my personal opinion. And I know that's very harsh, and I'm sure some would disagree with me, but that's what we've done. We've given them all the resources and training, the mastery 
to fight in a kinetic war, be it fist, knife, rifle, missile, you know, even the idea of optics. We've taken that all away from them. In some cases, we've taken away other things like their senses, their limbs, you know, some horrific loss has occurred in the body and the mind and probably the spirit. And then we've dumped them into another battlefield in which we've given them no ability to have mastery because now we've taken all the resources away. They can't just go get an MRE. They can't just go ask for, what am I supposed to be doing? They have, no one has, the chain of command is gone. That's a really tough situation to be in. It's a really fucked up situation to be in, which is why we have these huge suicide rates, why the PTSD is, in my personal opinion, uh, uh, ravaging. It, it just, 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 just ravages through them because you've taken all of the support structure that you've given them away. You've taken away all of their masteries. That's horrifying. The way in which I look at it is much different. Yes, I understand that. But it's a really good example as to where we are societally, culturally. Um, I believe it was Mahatma Gandhi said, uh, you can, don't judge, um, don't judge a country on how they treat their people, but on how they treat their animals. I agree and disagree. Look at how we discard people. We're really good at that. In fact, it's another one of our masteries. We're masters at warfare and we're masters at disregarding, just throwing people to the wayside. And it's, it's bad. It's really bad. The argument can be made across the board. I'm just using two. Very easy, not easy, but very poignant references. In fact, I would say this argument holds up in multiple different cases when we want to talk about the disassociation of a, of a, a certain subset of the populace when it comes to how we interact with them as far as mastery goes. We are masters at disregarding things. And that can't continue. It's just... It's just not a success. What you can't have this. Rome did it. Rome was a master at disregarding things. They were just like, oh, somebody else will figure it out. Or, oh, it's this person's fault. The blame game will get no one anything ever other than more blame. Not looking at history and coming to these conclusions will get us nothing more than the same things over and over again. And that's insanity. It's doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. This idea of mastery goes into that thing called hegemony, right? The social, cultural, ideological, or economic influence exerted by a dominant group. In order for a group to be dominant, they must be given mastery, to be given domain, to be given dominance. That starts with the individual. So how do we take that back? Well, you have to take mastery over your own self. What does mastery of yourself look like? Possession or display of great skill or technique over oneself. Skill or knowledge that makes one a master of a subject. Self-awareness. 
responsibility for your physical, mental, and spiritual body. No, it's not easy. No, you don't want to do it. No one wants to do it. It's tough. It sucks. It's hard. That's where they come up with that thing. Like, oh, the best things are hard, you know, like it's, or have suffering. To be passionate about something is to be suffered, to suffer for it. That's all the things I've been talking about. That's why I always find it interesting that, you know, the cards lead me down this direction of being able to put together the last piece and, and pull that into the next piece. And, you know, when I talk about everything since, I mean, every episode that I've ever done just kind of builds, but like, since episode 42, when I did the recap, we talked about love and faith and how they, you know, and then we have purpose and then reincarnation and tranquility and listening and passion, ego, magic, why, essence. Now we're talking about mastery. Where are you on the, on the bell curve? Do you think you got it all figured out? Because you might just be starting. Are you doubting yourself every day? Because you might be halfway there. Have you accomplished it and still don't think you've accomplished it because you know, yeah, I got it, but I could always be better. Where are you on the bell curve? You beginner, intermediate, master. Everybody's somewhere. And just that understanding is what will allow people to come to the conclusion that like, oh, wait, you can take away someone's mastery of something. We can tell the government, knock your shit off. You're, you're just, you're, you're just, uh, we don't even know what you're doing anymore, which means you're not a requirement. We'll take care of this ourselves. We have people who are masters of certain things. We can invite them in to deal with certain situations. And then we can progress as a people, as a society, as a cultural group. We can do that globally as well. Globalism, I'm here to say, is probably going to die. Globalism was the want for mastery of a domain that was global. That only goes in one direction when we talk about the masteries of humanity, the masteries of humanity being one, warfare, two, disregarding entities. That's essentially what warfare brings us anyway. So we'll just stick with warfare. In a global scheme for globalism to exist Warfare must never go away. It must always be happening because that's how you hold power is to be a dominant force of war. And to have dominance is to have dominion. And the, the dominion in this case is the earth, the whole planet. For that to exist, more would have to then be dominated well, we haven't figured out how to go to other planets yet or settle on other like things like the moon. So the domination that must occur spiritually. If we don't master this whole thing itself, we're capable of being dominated. That's kind of the overarching thing here. So going back to the cards, King of Wands, right? Big action, big things, you know, Big causes, big, big reasoning, resources, um, power, money, financial gain, which is really just resources, um, land, big action, right? Queen of Cups, psychological action, 
individual action, understanding, emotion, and, and the interplay there. Nine of cups. When you get those things right, great things happen. The warning on the other side of that is when you get them wrong, bad shit happens. The magician. The magician is a master of all of these things, master of the elements, you know, master of all these things, which means they wield great power. Do the old Spider-Man thing with great power comes great responsibility with mastery comes duality of great proportion is how I would put that. So I've talked about before how duality is, that's the measurement of the coin, right? It's duality always is Trinity. We have two sides of the same coin. Mastery is how broad those measurements are. If we want to use colors, we have, uh, I don't know what the brightest white is, but I'm sure there's a really freaking bright white out there. Pure white. It's probably what they call it. Of some, maybe it's not even pure white. I don't know. It's it's going to be some crazy white that's just super reflective. Um, I guess that would be it. Be a mirror. So, on one end of the spectrum, we'd have mirror, and then on the other section out of the spectrum, we'd have what's known as Vanta black. Vanta black is the deepest, darkest black of all blacks. It absorbs all light that hits it. So we have mirror finish and Vanta black right now. We keep pushing those boundaries. But that's where we're at right now is, is mirror and Vanta black. Absolute reflection of light, absolute absorption of light. That is the mastery of color or finish. I guess that would be the mastery of finish. Um, we have complete mirror finish or complete, you know, absorption of light finish. That gives us things like stealth technology. That gives us things like, um, you know, uh, solar uh, absorption for or reflection, you know, so con- temperature control can be used for that. You can use mastery of different things to affect other things. That's what mastery allows you to do. But is the measurement structure to be a master of something or to have mastery of something is to create those dipoles, those opposites. And that's scary if you think about it. So what does the mastery of war look like? It should look like the non-necessity for action and ultimate annihilation. And we're pretty damn close. I don't think we could instantaneously annihilate the entire planet right now, um, but we're pretty, we're pretty damn close. Um, I believe the nuclear arsenal of all countries combined would certainly wipe out our existence, but the planet itself, I think would survive it. It could take years and years and years and years, but I don't think it would destroy the magnetosphere, which uh, we would still have an atmosphere. We haven't quite come up with the thing that would destroy the atmosphere. The, you know, yeah, the land would become toxic and it would take, millions of years for it to recover, to have greenery again. But I don't think it would destroy the actual planet. Like we wouldn't be the next Mars. I don't know if our nuclear arsenals are that big. It's possible they are. And in which case, yes, that would be known as 
complete and utter annihilation of the planet by destroying its atmosphere. If the stratosphere, if the whole, if we would just poof, blow it away, all oxygen leaves, you know, the planet, we'd just become like all the other, you know, Mars, Pluto, where there is no atmosphere. I guess it would be possible because if they were, they would have to be uh, air bursted and create enough of a magnetic disruption that the magnetosphere goes away. Um, we wouldn't have a pole shift. We would just have a literal, like, no more poles. There would be no more north, no more south pole, which is opposite. Uh, we call the north pole. Uh, on the on the Earth, as it is right now, the north pole, what we call the north pole, is actually what would be considered the south pole of the magnetic sphere. But we'll get into that another time. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I guess it's possible that we have the ability to absolutely annihilate that, which would be the annihilation of the planet. The planet would not survive that. Um, and if that's the case, we should, by the standards of mastery, the standards of being able to measure something on both sides of the dipole, be able to control the weather, control, like we would have, if we can completely annihilate the planet, we should be able to completely control the planet. If that is true, if statements here, if that is true, the necessity for warfare should disappear overnight. Kinetic warfare, at least. Um, psychological warfare, that's probably never going to go away because that's what we do. But that's what mastery attains. Mastery attains the complete and separation of the, the complete infinite separation of the two positions, the measurement structure. One could say godliness or godhood is a, is a mastery over the domain of something. This is where we had the pantheons. The pantheons were measurements of people or not people, uh, measurements of things or, or ideas. And thus you would give a God domain over. They would have, they would be the God of, um, by bringing those pantheons to singularity the argument of one God, you've essentially created mastery of Godhood. What does that look like? And this is probably going to piss some people off, but oh well. Uh, it's a tangent. We're going on it. What does that look like when it comes to humanity, right? If, if we took that same idea, so you had multiple plural, polytheism, on the other side of that, we had non-theism, so no theistics, which is not, we can say technically agnostic, um, not, not the belief in no God, because that's a belief in a power. Anyway, agnosticism, which would be defined as there's no such thing as a, 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 a infinite power and polytheism which would be all of these different gods or angels or things have multiple dominions, dominions over, um, and then singularistic one God, right? Well, we're not there. We never got there. We gave Trinity to the Godhead. We, you know, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Um, any, so like even in um, the Quran, there is angels, 
and thus they have dominion over, which means that their, the power had been separated. There was a separation of power. Yeah, in the Judaic orders, uh, the, no, the Torah, I believe, in the Torah, um, there is mention of uh, the Sephir, the Sephiroths, um, or um, the dominions of angels. Um, in fact, I mean, knowing that there is the talk of archangels, uh, specifically Michael, Raphael, um, and they have commonality between the three Abrahamic religions, that's a separation of the dominion nation. So it's not singular, which means we haven't created a mastery of it yet. And if we're not masters of theosophy, we don't have a right answer yet or what would be deemed as a correct answer for everyone. I believe that would be a fair point to be made so that we could just stop that argument. It doesn't matter if you're fucking right or wrong. It doesn't matter. The mastery there is once you have a complete singularity and also a non-singularity and you've had everything in between the plurals of it all to have the separation of the dominionation to have dominions or ascendancy, if you will, you wouldn't need it, right? Well, that could look like all sorts of different things. I've talked about, you know, the Luminarians and the um, Atlanteans and how that could go apart. You know, there's many different understandings there. If you want to look at, um, even Pythagoras had there had an understanding of how that would look. Um, just about every philosophical standpoint has had some idea of how that would look, but I'm just, I'm just breaking it down into more structures of understanding that mastery is that representation. If you were going to be a master of something, you know, both sides, you've been able to measure it to a certain length on both angles. And it's typically infinite, or there is maybe a stopping point that comes to a conclusion of Mira and Vanta black, but maybe there's another blacker black yet. So maybe we, maybe there's an even bigger mirror finish. Um, they would loop back on each other. That is chaos, creation, order, destruction. Destruction loops back to chaos. We're not quite there yet because that would be technically the definition of what we would know as a God that, that can both take chaos to creation, to order, destroy and resurface to chaos. The funny thing about that, the fun part about it for me is when you look at the body, the mind and the spirit, we are gods. We are capable of shaping chaos, ordering it, shaping chaos by creating something, ordering that something, and then destroying it so that it may return to chaos, so that we may reshape, reorder, and redestroy constantly. So we have infinite possibility, defined, ordered, destroyed, back to infinite possibility, and we just keep cycling through it. That is how the mind, body, and soul, or spirit, all work together. I should probably stop saying soul, because it has a separate connotation um, that is inclusive to the mind and the spirit. If you were to combine the mind and the spirit, you get the soul. If you can, this, you, to me, the understanding of soul is a mastery of the mind and the spirit. It's displacement of the body. The body doesn't need, or the body doesn't represent the soul. The soul is a representation of the, the mastery of the mind and the spirit. Um, that would be to be soul, uh, to have soul, to be um, kin, soul kin. 
um, that would be the, that's the mastery of that. So that, that I often say soul, but I really, when I'm, when I'm talking about soul, uh, it's the mastery of the mentality, the mind, the consciousness, uh, the entity that inhabits the body and the spirit, those, that kind of, that connection would be soul. Um, soul is not just spirit. Spirit is its own thing. Mind is its own thing. Body is its own thing. The connection of the mind and the spirit that's soul. That's when we talk about the soul leaving the body, or uh, we talk about iamblichus, the, the 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 vehicle of the soul. Uh, when we talk, when the Native Americans talk about, or sovereign Americans talk about, um, um, the 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 spirit's journey out of the body uh, to ride the painted horse into the heavens. Um, that's a connection of the soul. These things are much more a, a different mastery. Well, what is, what's the opposite of that, right? So if we know the soul is mastery of mind and spirit connection, what's the, what's the mastery of mind and body connection? Ooh, interesting, right? You didn't think I was going to go here. You thought I was off on some just circular tangent talking about like war and, and mastery and, and domain and dominance and, and, and all sorts of weird cultural references to monarchs and blah, 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 blah. Well, this mastery thing has to do with some other things too, like that mastery of mind and spirit, that's soul. So what's the mastery of body and mind? I'd like to say TBD, but that's not really true. Athletics is is a combination of that. Um, Skill, technique, trade. These are the masteries of mind and body. You know, someone, a mathematician, a biologist, um, the katana maker, the, the master swordsmith, the, you know, however you want to break it down, those are the mastery of the mind and body. There can be a further reference of that. But if we look at it in the triangular, we have to look at the understanding of what's then the, the, those two things. So if we have, we have skill and technique trade, if you will, those are the masteries of mind and body. And there's not just one, there's many. We know there's one mastery of the mind and spirit that's soul. So the infusing of the soul of the connection the mastery of, of mind and spirit into the work, the effort is the mastery of the connection between skill technique and, and, and soul. That is true mastery. This is what masonry talks about. Um, when, you know, when they turn, they say they become a master apprentice, uh, I'm sorry, a master Mason, third degree Masons are considered master Masons. That is supposed to be the understanding of you have mind and spirit and the mastery of those two things becomes the soul is the soul. And that is what inhabits the body. And the reflection of using that 
is what gives us mastery of skill, trade, technique, and all of the wondrous things that can come from that. Without soul, there would be no master craft. There would be no great works. There would be no... I'm going to look up a word real quick because I want to use it, but I don't want to be wrong. We all know how I feel about words and vocabulary. Uh, pardon me. There could be no, there could be nothing that's enigmatic pertaining to an enigma. Um, there could be, yeah, is that, is that how, yeah. There can be nothing that's enigmatic of relating to or resembling an enigma or a mystery. An enigma is something hard to understand or explain, um, an obscure speech or writing. There could be nothing that would be defined as enigmatic if there was no inserting of the soul into the physical work, into the, even the mental work, Just, you know, that couldn't exist without the soul. This is part of what Iamblichus talks about in the vehicle of the soul. This is, this is what Pythagoras mentions. Um, this is what Paracelsus talks about when they talk about the, the sylphs, the undines, the salamanders, and the gnomes, that there are these elemental things that exist inside of everything. This is what Shinto Buddhism talks about when they talk about how everything has a, has a spirit that resides within it. Um, this is what medieval teachings, when we talk about the spirits of, um, the, the things like the pixies, um, or, or better yet, when we talk about, um, in medieval culture, when cultures talk about fairies or the fairy realm, these are understandings of what would be known as soul, the mastery of the mind and the spirit, the other, the unseen, the undying, the, the, um, all of those things that could be expressed in this physical. That's what makes the idea of humanity a masterful situation or, or to have mastery. We have to be a human, you have mastered the ability to put the soul into a physical manifestation. That's, that's, I, this entire episode, I've lacked the expression for this. I try, I, Maybe the first whole first you know fifty minutes of this podcast was useless because I was trying to get to the definition of something that we we could talk about in the realm of why mastery means so much. Mastery is the representation for humanity. Mastery is the representation of we have mastered the ability. Humans, what what this thing is known as a human is the mastery of taking a soul and incorporating it. And soul, remember, I'm defining that as the, the mastery of the combination of mentality, the mental body, and the spiritual body, and inserted it into a physical form. That's ridiculous. It's unfathomable. In fact, it's so much that that we've spent our entire existence trying to figure that out. We've invented religions. We've invented war in order to find the resources to be the ones to figure it out. We're all looking for that. We're all seeking that. It's a never-ending fight. But why? 
This is where I'm going to diverge in this podcast from what I believe would be the norm. Most people would take this as a miraculous idea. And it is. It is a miraculous idea of, wow, this thing called a soul, which comes from the mastery of the mind and the spirit, which we are just somehow fucking born with, although we don't really recognize it then we should spend the time to have mastery of the mind and body in which to understand that we have this mastery of soul we've inserted into this mind and body. That's why the practice of martial arts began. That's why the practice of warfare began. That's why the practice of philosophy and knowledge and wisdom and writing and uh, swordcraft and, and uh, artistry and artisanry and uh, even, you know, basket weaving and uh, magic craft and, and wizardry and monarchy and all of these things that we do existed to understand or continue to exist or continue to be get, um, challenged in order to understand this whole thing known as the soul. Everything we do is, is to a, attempt to understand that mastery that we've somehow inserted into this fucking physical form that we get to be an omnipotent presence over, which is why I make such a big deal out of self mind, body and spirit. Um, all of that exists to come to the conclusion that we had that to begin with. But I differ. I differ greatly in the understanding of where that might come from and why it exists. The cards always come with a warning, right? The tarot cards have always come with a warning. Most all philosophy, most all history comes with warnings. And we don't heed them. We don't pay attention. We don't necessarily even want to talk about them. We've always known war is horrific, yet we send, we send soldiers to war and they come back broken. We knew that was going to happen. We know that's going to happen. We know people will die. We know land will be scorched. Resources will be spent. Blood will be spilled. We know that. We do it anyway, but we know that. So we constantly seek meaning for it, right? There's not much difference from that than what I'm about to explain as is a possible understanding of what's occurring. And I'm going out on a limb here because I've never really covered this and it's a bit of a prediction of things we might figure out. And to be honest, some part of me hopes I'm wrong. And I don't mean this to bring anyone now down. I mean it to be a self-reflective mastery a self-reflective dive into what it means to have had this soul inserted into a physical body and the reasoning for what that could look like so that there could be an end to looking at the wrong enemy, to looking at the wrong differences, to look at the wrong reasons for separation, to get rid of these things that don't need to persist because there's no mastery for them to give us understanding from. They can be left behind. This is the representation of the age of Pisces into the age of Aquarius. We can start to leave the bullshit 
behind. It's not required anymore. It's not necessary. Stigmas. There's the freaking word I was looking for before. We can leave the stigmas behind. We can use this possible understanding. Again, I'm, I'm hoping I'm partially wrong. As a collection call to work harder at self-awareness, at mental health, at understanding what this mastery of, of humanity means. Because we might not have it right. We might all have it wrong. And we have to represent that. Any good craftsperson, any good tradesperson, any person who has mastery over something, to be considered a master of it, must also be able to look at where they could be going wrong, what they could be doing wrong, where all the pitfalls are. The greatest warriors of all time were those who could look for the pitfalls not to fall into. Every story of in the Roman Legion always talked about, you know, when we talk about the Roman generals or we talk about the Greek generals or, you know, we talk about something like the Spartans. The Spartans were the best at not falling into pitfalls, not getting led too far. They followed the plan. They followed the set rules, the modem operandi, the MO. They knew don't extend. Don't extend if you couldn't defend. That was part of the Spartan way. Don't extend if you couldn't defend. That's a basic understanding of, of warfare. If you can't defend, don't overextend. Just It's, it's kind of that simple. I, I know it's not simple for those who don't understand how warfare works, but don't extend if you can't defend it. Second to that, defend. Find defense. Fortify. Is the, is the the clarification there? Don't overextend if you can't defend. Fortify after extension. You, you know they they looked at the pitfalls. They didn't overextend. They fortified when necessary, or were always and then fortified. That's how they create. And they took that from the to, the top to the bottom. The Spartan legions were well known for stalwart defense. They could easily move across their lands. Within an hour or two, and they had big lands, but they always had a patrol that could ease a, a QRF. They had a quick reaction force. You know, the Roman legions used some of this, but they did it by numbers, by dominance of number. That's another way you can do it. There's always different ways, techniques and concepts you can use, but principally that's, these are the things they did. So uh, enough of that, but that representation is the representation that by, by using the mastery of these things, we're representing the, 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 the ability to put soul into something. And if, if we did that so adamantly with warfare, knowing what the outcome of it was going to be, is the same not true to incarnation? Not reincarnation, just incarnation. That humanity is this vessel thing that gets a soul. And the soul, simply defined as 
the mastery of the connection between mind and spirit. I have defined spirits before when I talked about essence. I talked about why, you know, go back and listen to those episodes if you want a breakdown, an in-depth breakdown of what I mean by that. If that's the case, right, and we created war, knowing, we, we knew the outcomes. We've, we've known ever from the very beginning. We've known. Then is not war our origin. We talk about this when we talk about the first, you know, the first original sin, right? Is conflict not our origin? Because that's the story. Like that's all of the stories start there. The whole creation came first thing, not chaos. If that's the true origin, then our original origin was warfare, was, was uh, not violence. There's a difference between warfare and violence. Violence is typically inexcusable action if it has no intention in our direction. Violence for the sake of violence is empty, hollow, no mastery. So what I'm getting at here to just kind of dive into it deeper and I'm hesitating, but if that were the case, then our existence would be predicated by the necessity of a resource. So one would have to ask, is the mastery known as soul, the connection between mind and body, the consciousness, well, I'm sorry, uh, mind and spirit, the consciousness and the spirit, that thing that makes up soul, would that not be a commodity or a resource? And if it is a commodity and or a resource, would it not be sought? Would it not be necessary? Would it not have essence? Would it not answer whys? And thus be something conflict would exist for. Now we fight violent kinetic conflicts. We also fight cyber conflicts. We also fight cold conflicts, psychological conflicts. That is the state of war as a, as a total peace. Thus I call myself a martialist and not a martial artist. I practice no arts that are of martial nature. I practice, I practice martialism. With that understanding that someone could practice that mastery as a representation of soul, of mastery of spirit and, and mind, that they could put their soul into that. Someone like Miyasashi, um, someone like um, Attila the Hun, someone like... Um, Genghis Khan. Some might argue Genghis Khan as well. Um, someone like the whole Apache people. Um, someone like our warriors, our armed forces, who are the warrior class, 
Almost every class in society has had some sort of warrior class. We now have the armed forces, but inside of that, we have warrior class. We have the warrior class of the armed forces. Those whose job is violent warfare, kinetic warfare. Like that's their, it's not the strategic element. It's not the operational element. It's not the um, supply element. It is the, the violence actions. Those would be considered the warrior class. Um, I've recently been informed as to who those might, individuals might be. Um, I will name them because I was told them uh, to clarify. That would be like SEAL Team 6. That would be like the Ranger um, organizations. That would be like Delta Force. Those are the warrior classes of the American Armed Forces. That, that's what they do. There's no, they don't do supply. They don't do, you know... I guess uh, you could also include recon marines in there. Reconnaissance would be somewhat part of that, but recon marines are also can be QRF elements, I believe. Um, and I, I probably have some of this wrong. I apologize to our armed forces individuals for the things I'm getting wrong here. But as a general understanding, like we do have certain elements of the, what I'm talking about is we have certain elements of the American armed forces that would be considered the warrior class. Just like there was the samurai, just like there's the Spartans, just like there's um, the... I want to say Mossad, but it's not Mossad. It's, um, I apologize. There's an Israeli armed element that is specifically for that. But in, even, you know, if we go back to, um, we'd have the Schweltwilder. I can't remember it. Um, berserkers. That's a fun topic, right? For the, those who watch like, you know, the Vikings and stuff like that, you would have the berserker, those who went just berserk. They just saw red, angry. Berserker would be a warrior class. That was the warrior, like they did nothing else but berserk. They didn't come home and fish and farm. They were berserkers. The, that would be our shield maidens. The shield maidens did not, they did not farm. They did not, you know, weave. They did not fish. They were shield maidens. They trained every day to fight and to defend, to work in the shield wall. Those are the shield maidens. Um, the Weisuigi, uh, in the Japanese culture, we had the samurai, but we would also have, you know, the warrior nuns in the Weisuigi. Like those are, those, they trained to be war. The Shaolin of China, warrior class. Um, inside of that, you had the Arhats, which were even really more of a warrior class. Um, that's what the 36 Chambers talks about is the, the development of to become an Arhat, which is to, uh, to be of the warrior mentality, the warrior mind, the warrior monk, um, that like I could I could go into the the, the the differentiations of all that on and on again. Um, but every cultural society or organization has had a warrior class. If that exists, that mastery of war, we're fair. But on a on a development level of like the warrior class comparative to the subterfuge class. This is the definition that they use in the archetypes of most um, uh, RPGs, um, role-playing games. Um, you have like the archetypes of like the class structures of like the assassin and the druid and the the cleric and the warrior and the thief, or, or you know, all those different classifications, the archetypes. Those are the masteries that are the expressions of soul. And thus, if those masteries are so prominent, 
then would it not beg the question of what the grander scale of that looks like? Here's what it looks like to me. A soul could possibly be a resource, a commodity. And thus, because the spirit, those things on the plane in which, or the existence in which we don't necessarily see or interact with, the, the understanding of that, the whole thing of known as spirit, the answer to why questions, Would we not be no different than cattle, no different than trees, no different than herbal medicine plants, no different than the eggs the chicken lays? Maybe not on that basic of levels because, yeah, this thing known as mastery of mind and spirit, known as the soul, is quite complex and amazing and, and, and crazy. But would it not be like sons? Sons are something. They're unique. Yeah, there's tons of them out there. There's fucking thousands, millions, probably billions of sons. You know, like they're all over the place. There's whole um, sun forges. There's parts in the galaxy, out in the universe that, um, or maybe not in the galaxy, but out in the universe, there's places that we call soul forges that are places that produce suns. And they're just like, yeah, no, there's not one popping off every like second or anything like that, but like, I mean, maybe there is, but you know, they're created, they, you know, they come into creation from infinite chaos. There's a creation structure and then they are ordered into the type of sun they're going to be. And eventually they go supernova and they collapse. And then we get, maybe we get black holes out of that. Right. Um, cycles in that, wouldn't it make sense that our souls are like part of that thing? part of that cyclical nature and thus could be a commodity or a resource and others would have conflict over who gets to control those. It's possible. Totally possible. I'm not saying it's probable. It's possible. Would that not be one of the greatest reasons for humanity to come together and figure out what the fuck is going on? Because someone is clearly fucking with us. Like think of, if we are harvestable somethings, right? If our misery and our emotions and our experience in this planet, on this planet, is in some way fuel to something, maybe we're just like trees. Maybe we are the we're just a base level fuel that can be used for stuff, for cooking, or for to some entity that we don't know exists or have an understanding of. Wouldn't that make some of the stuff make sense? Why, yeah, we feel bad for the cows. Or, yeah, we feel bad for the fox or the squirrel or the animals. Because maybe they got the same feeling that we do about it. And we're like, hey, who's harvesting us? Who's using us? What resource are we? Maybe we're a super rare resource. Maybe we're like gold. Although gold's not that rare. Maybe we're like silver or uh, plutonium or, you know, or... um Anyway, it doesn't matter. I'm not going to get on that soapbox right now. Um, but like, maybe that's, maybe that's a possibility, right? I think there's been plenty of warnings throughout history that would key us into something that there are, there is, or was maybe something greater than us 
that clearly used us for something and thus we're a commodity maybe or we're, we're, I, I don't know. I'd like to know. I don't actually know, but these cards originally, they, they make me think of that. The King of Wands, macrocosm, big actions, big reasoning, right? The Queen of Cups, the opposite of that, small, intimate understandings. The Nine of Cups, when you can figure out and marry together, join together, the macrocosm and the microcosm, wishes come true. The magician is the carrier of that idea. That's the person who's capable of making that happen. They just don't always know it. So when we talk about self-awareness and mental health, there's a mastery to that. A possession or display of great skill or technique. Someone can be very self-aware. Skill or knowledge that makes one master of a subject. To be master of oneself. To be your own fucking He-Man. To be your own Thundercat. Really wish I would have grown up in the 80s. I miss the 80s. Anyway, um, authority of a master. Uh, the, to have domain to, or dominion over something. The upper hand in a contest or competition. Superiority. Ascendancy. Think about that. The upper hand in a contest or a competition to have superiority or ascendancy is mastery. Who's master of us? Is it us or is it something else? That is one of the greatest questions, the greatest mysteries of all time. That is what the mystery schools have tried to define. And to, we've lost the answer. That's what I'm here to say. We've lost the answer. You can almost prove that now that we've lost the answer. History has been hidden. Our politicians and politics have gone way too far. Government has gotten way too big. Monarchies ruled for far too long. There's been too much bullshit, too much corruption, too much coercion, too much stuff keeping us away from that answer. That answer exists. And as a as a, as, a, as, a, as, a, as a species, we can come together to figure it out. Yes, there's many roadblocks in the way. Language is one of them. We absolutely need a universal language that everyone on the planet can speak and understand, and it needs to be an amalgamation of almost all of the languages that already exist brought into something very compound almost and taught to all children from this point on so that they can all talk and, co and have a conversation together. Because we know language is a spiritual thing. I've talked about it. Language is a spiritual process. And so for all of us to be able to be spiritual together, we must have a spiritual language. It must be a language that everyone gets to learn and everyone gets to speak from day one, or there will be a transition period in which that has to exist. That's, you, have to, you have to have a start somewhere, right? And language is a great start. We have done this backwards. We have for the longest time tried to keep translating things because languages are cultural. They are a mastery of a culture. A, a culture creates a language and thus it has mastery over its spirituality inside of that culture. We're bigger than that now. We have to broaden out. We have to come up with, and the way we tried to do that is we tried to use translation and that was great. It got us so far. We have to come up with an idea of saying, you know what? It's time. It's time to say that we now get to be a, a global 
but not globalism, but a, a fully human species language that we can use that everyone gets to learn and start with. But keep, you know, obviously keep all the other beautiful languages that are out there. They're all very important. Mix them together, you know, but some basic universal language, right? Which would be an essence. It would be an essential part of humanities to have one, one human language. That would be to boil it all into the essence. What a great work that would be for someone to, to, put the time in, not just someone, but a group of people. This must be done together as a mastery of, of a whole to group together and to create the essential language of humanity. How beautiful that would be. How amazing, how mystical, how godly, how superior that would be. How ascended that would be. What a mastery that would be of human spirit. Each person in that regard must master themselves. They must have self-awareness. Attention to intentions in regards to the self known as the body, mind, and spirit. With that, we might throw off the chains of division And uniquely come together in the understanding that mastery of oneself is depression. And we are all depressed. Everyone has a depression. It is uniquely who they are. And thus, we have to stop saying, I understand, because no, we fucking don't. And that's an amazing, great thing, which means that uniqueness, that thing known as depression, is a representation of the soul. The mastery of the connection between mind and spirit gives us depression. And from there, we can keep going on and on and on. And I'm not the one to come up with these things and to make them work. I don't know. I'm just an idea person. I just think about things a lot. And I come up with these understandings and possibilities. And one of the possibilities I've always been fraught with is that we're no different than any other resource in the universe. We just don't know what our rarity is. We think it's quite a bit. We think our, we are, we think we're very rare. We think we're one of a kind. Who knows if that's actually true or not? Maybe there's a cat like being of vast intelligence, what would be called a sphinx, that lives on another planet that also has what's known as a soul a mastery of the connection between mind and body. I'm sorry, mind and spirit. And they too are that they're a soul being. This is what people talk about when they talk about, you know, um, uh, uh, soul um, doctrine and um, that type of stuff. The, 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 I'm blanking on the reincarnation things, but not a reincarnation. It's, um, is it soul? soul? Soul something. When, you know, like we have like Lumerians and like people from other guys, like reborn here on this planet. Look, there's plenty of different theories, but 
I like to look at the, like, what's, what are those, if those theories exist, what's that mean? means we have options, right? It's possibilities. We can't intrinsically say aliens don't exist. Beings of another planet don't exist. Beings of another plane don't, we can't say that we don't know. We don't know. That's all I'm saying. We don't know. I'm not saying like, oh, there's aliens, there's Martians. We don't actually know. In fact, well, we might, some people might actually know they're just not sharing that information. That's quite, that's, that's another possibility, right? Same thing with history. We don't know if our history is actually true. No one's going back in time and double checked. There is no fact checkers for history. That shit doesn't exist. There's just people who get to say they're fact checkers and then get to write whatever the fuck they want. And usually it's, it's either a satirical article someone paid them to write or it's some bullshit article someone else told, paid them to write. There's no such thing as a fact checked in that sense. We can't go back in time and double check if Galileo was actually the person we say Galileo was. We just have written history and humans are pretty fucking fallible. So we don't know if that's accurate or not. It doesn't always matter though, because we have plenty of technology now to check things and double check things and to look back at like, Hey, what did that? What did that research show? Was the experiment done correctly? And did it show what it was supposed to? How about we go look at the Mickelson-Morrison experiments and see if they were right or wrong? Because I'm on the accord that they were actually right and the experiments were done wrong when they double-checked them to make them look wrong. The same thing happened to Nikola Tesla. Where are the Nikola Tesla papers? Why at this point in the fucking game, in the stage of humanity, in the mastery of the the essence of humanity, the, the expression of the soul into this body. Do we live in a world in which someone gets to have dominion over Nikola Tesla's work, even though he published it to be open source, to be available to the public? Yeah. He patented a bunch of shit. Great for him. He published his work to the public. No one should have domain over that. This will, that's the understanding of public domain. This sensory shit is fucking ridiculous as far as it comes to how the expression of mastery works or masterful works. This is why I have a problem with the Catholic Church. And what they've done in history. This is what I have a problem with the European Parliament of, of the monarchy and, you know, why I have a problem with the Vatican, why I have a problem with, um, you know, I'm sorry, Queen of England, I'm sure you're a wonderful person, but I have a problem with that, that regalsness, that, that regency, like that's, that, that's not okay. It's just not okay. Maybe it was. For a time period, yes, maybe we needed that organization, but we don't anymore. In fact, we've gone so far in the opposite direction that it's hurting society. It's hurting people. It is dumbing down the expression of the soul into Mastercraft working. This is what masonry talks about, but no one knows because masonry hides that shit. They even hide it to themselves. I didn't figure this out by becoming a Mason. I figured out the Masons didn't know shit by becoming a Mason and getting to that point and going, oh, wait, they totally don't understand what's going on here. 
They have no idea. Those who become master masons have no idea what that means. They don't know what the representation of those three degrees express. No one teaches it to them. They just walk them through the expression of it now. And thus, there's no reason for me to have become a 32nd or 33 degree mason because even them, I wouldn't, I, I doubt many of them even know what those plays mean, what they're a representation of. Now, I won't ruin masonry as far as, like, if someone, it's not up to me to ruin someone's decision to go be a mason and experience those degrees. That's not up for me to ruin for them because they are experiences and I, I can't ruin someone else's experience because that's, that's not, that's just not a correct action for me. What I can do is ruin their secrets. There are, in the understanding of masonry, when you become a third degree mason, there's the understanding of, of the two pillars. Um, and these are the two pillars that sit outside of Solomon, Solomon's tomb, um, which the tomb is actually Solomon's great library. But um, it's Boaz and Jacen are the two pillars. And these two pillars are representative of something. Um, and they just kind of gloss over it. You're not really taught the pure representation there. They are the genetical mastery. And this is going to piss a lot of people off. Can't believe I'm going to say this nowadays. There is the understanding of, the, I'm simply talking a genetical expression. Please don't get into wokeism. Please don't get into, like, if that's your conversation, fine, whatever. I'm not here to debate it. I'm just tired of the bullshit. Male and female. They're genetical representations. That's it. Classifications, yin-yang, two sides of the same coin. But they exist. They exist. They are genetical expressions. That is what Boaz and Jacen, that's what they represent. These two pillars. Pillars, meaning very important. They hold up species. Without the two, species can't exist. I don't care how many other classifications you want to put out there, most of which are just sexual preference. I don't care how many we want to put out there. Species do not exist without two genetical markers. Male and female. Even if they can swip swap because there are species in this existence on this planet that can flip between the two when necessary. But without those two markers, species doesn't exist. There's no, there's no ability to do a reproductive action. In fact, most of masonry is just a bunch of phallic symbols to have that expression that males should go spread the seed and, and fucking... Do all that bullshit. Not bullshit, but like that that's the reason for warfare to exist is to be the dominant, you know, myrrh, be the dominant male, spread your seed, blah, blah, blah. Like a lot of masonry is about that um, and male bonding. But the, the representation though that they don't see because that's what they get initially is there is these two pillars known as Boaz and Jacen. And those two pillars are the representation of a male and female genetic understanding for the reproductive action. That's all I'm talking about. I don't 
give a shit about your fucking titles. Don't fucking care. It's gone too far. Most of it's just sexual preference bullshit anyway. And why are we having those public conversations? It's personal to the individual. That two pieces right there. They don't even like, they don't get into. And part of that is becoming a master Mason. That's why the third degree is the master Mason. When you understand there's these very few little pieces. Also part of that. I, I went off on that tangent to get back to this. When we look throughout history, there are many references to all of these things. We consider the mystery, the mystery schools and it's all lost. Even the Masons don't know what the fuck they're talking about. Even the Rosicrucians don't know what they're talking about. Even the Golden Dawn, even the Skull and Bones, even all of these organizations that we want to think are just some, you know, crazy powerful and understand everything. They don't, they don't, they have maybe some small interesting pieces. There are certainly people out there who practice some weird shit and have some backing behind doing it, but no one has the true story. That's what I'm here to tell you. No one has a mastery over the information that is the truth. That is exactly what happened or what is happening. And thus, we also have the beautiful thing of being able to create stories and conspiracy and conjecture and possibility and plausibility. And that's part of the magician. The magician is that understanding is that mastery can occur, but you got to work at it and you got to work hard and to be mastery, to have mastery over the mind and body is what we're here to do. The Greeks were probably one of the closest. The Greeks had philosophy. They had uh, athleticism, they have physical nature. They trained the, both the mind and the body. They had trade and skill craft. They knew in order to create a, 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 a good society, that they had to have artisans. They had to have people of trade, of skill. We've ruined that in America. When was the last time you celebrated your electrician or your plumber or the cook or the fucking, you know, even the barista, like, you know, when was the last time you celebrated the trash person? When was the last time you celebrated, you know, something other than someone who got a doctoral degree? We don't have a huge necessity for that. Yeah. Now that we're growing as a society and we have a lot of people, yes, we need, we need all of these things, but the trade, the skills, I was cushioned to it because I grew up in a family where I knew I probably wasn't going to go to college. And, you know, I grew up as a farm kid. Like I grew up on a farm. So I knew like this, these things were important, but I also knew that people made fun of me for it. And, and you know, it was considered a lesser thing. And fortunately I have seen the, the dial turn a little bit and go back the other way to realize that we need farmers. We need people of trade and skill. I went to a trade school. I went to a, a, a tech school, a, a, career oriented high school. And they, even then they had problems and still to this day have problems with that being a stigmatic idea, but it's, it's right. You know, I'm really excited for Mike Rowe to bring back dirty jobs because like that mastery, that understanding of, of, of the, the mind to the body mastery is part of what we're here to do. can't just ignore it because we've clearly already accomplished the harder of the two things 
because we don't even understand it. We clearly have mastery of mind to spirit. We have what's known as a soul. If any of the religions are to be believed, if any of the reasons for reincarnation are to be believed, we have that. So I'm going to come close here. I'm going to, I'm going to bring out my, my understanding as I see it so far. Reincarnation is pretty damn plausible, I think. But it's a trap. That's what the tarot deck refers to. It, it, it warns against it. Most of all religious structures and theosophy warn against reincarnation. Re- warn against wrong life. You know, even inside of the idea of the singular God um, pantheon of you know, the Abrahamic religions, they warn against living a sinful life because you'll have a lesser station in heaven. And even that is another life. That is a reincarnation into the doors of the, the heavens. Um, in the Hebrew and the Judaic, there's uh, not really such a thing as heaven, but there is a another understanding. I, I'm inadequate at explaining, but if that, if we just take that structure of this understanding of there's a possibility of reincarnation, a life after death, whatever that might look like, the reasoning for existing and to do inside of this world and this life and this physicality, this this materium, is the expression of the connection between the mastery of mind and, and spirit, which is known as a soul, and thus the soul must be a crafted element. And thus, learning how to connect the mind and the body together is the understanding of how that element is expressed in this materium, which is to say, there has been quite a few warnings throughout history, theosophy, philosophy, and all the other other stuff I've talked about, including the tarot deck itself, to say that the reincarnation process is a trap that you should do everything possible not to have to reincarnate again. You, you want to find your way out of that cycle. They all, have, they all warn about that. Like, don't get stuck in the cycle. Find a way out. That's what they're telling us to do. Yet, it exists to have a circular nature. So if it's warning that it's a trap, what is it warning against? Why would that warning be built into all of it? What nefarious plot line would require that warning to exist in every mystery school that humanity has ever seen, going all the way back to the Egyptian priesthood, moving all the way forward into the Masons of today? And even some of the monarchy and higher structure of a political nature and all the other bullshit that comes into it. Why would that warning be built in? A warning no one heeds. Because everyone is always relying on someone else to deal with the bullshit. There must be some sort of nefarious plot line, right? I'm always looking for it. That's part of warfare. Look for the pitfalls. When I was talking about the Spartans and like how to look for pit. There's a nefarious plot line there. That's all I'm saying. I'm not going to get this episode has been long enough. I could probably get into it at a different time. But that is also the representation of these cards in that sense. At a base level, not even a base level, but at a, a very good level, it's mastery. It's 
the authority of master to have dominion, the upper hand in a contest or competition to understand superiority and ascendancy, possession or display of a great skill or technique, skill or knowledge that makes one a master of a subject to have command of something. King of Wands, macrocosm. Queen of Cups, microcosm. The, the, the mastery of those together would give us the Nine of, of Cups, the, the, the wish being granted, essentially. The effort being rewarded. The individual who makes that happen is that of the magician. One who tries to master oneself. So if that's where we could get to, I think we could we could answer some 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 crazy questions. We could learn some crazy shit. Things could be I won't say better, just different. But almost like whimsically different. RPG role-playing game different, like sci-fi different. I have to believe that it's completely within our grasp. Eight billion people. Eight billion people. Just right now, at this this very moment, eight billion people. Think about all the other people before. What if we had skills of understanding reincarnation? Or what if we had skills of past lives? All these things we've dismissed for so long. Of the tarot deck, of the divinatory methods, of... What if we had knowledge of the nefarious plot that could be occurring? What if we what if we had those masteries of knowledge and information and wisdom? The expression of mind over body, body with mind. The connection there. What if we had mastery of that? What if we were able to use things like qigong, Ki, prana, chakra. What if we had this, this mastery of that connection of mind to body of the bioelectric field? What would that look like? Well, right now it looks like an MRI machine. What else could it look like? Th- these are the things that are holding humanity back. Not exploring these options. Listening to other people when they say like, oh, you know, we're out, we have a shortage of food and we have a shortage of fuel and we have a shortage of... Why do we have those shortages? Conflict? What conflict? Who's conflicted? Not me. I'm not conflicted with anyone. I have no reason to go to a war with a person of another culture or country. I can pick some of very select few people in this world that I will go to war with. Because they clearly are at war with everyone else. Not very many. I can tell you that. And that's a prediction I can tell you these cards are keying into. If these cards were predicting what's coming, these cards are predicting that those at the top that are causing conflict are not going to win because people are going to realize they don't deserve mastery over us. We are masters of them because we give them the fucking title. In order for someone to be a master of something, that title must have been given to them by the people, not themselves. So what do you want to be a master of? 
You're already a master of one amazing thing, to have a soul. If everyone has a soul, that's a conversation I haven't had yet, but that's also another possibility on the list of nefarious things. But another long episode, another set of cards. More questions, right? There's always more questions. But without the questions, we can't have answers. And without answers, we can't have questions. So we can't have cyclical nature, which means we can't have conversation. Conversation is, is key. Words are key. Mastery of vocabulary, mastery of words, also key. Come check us out at taminghindrances.com. Um, check out the archive uh, for a bunch of different resources there. I probably should update some stuff and throw some more stuff on there. I'll try to do that soon. Um, got my Pure Bulk shirt on today. Head over to purebulk.com and get yourself some supplements. Use code taminghindrances. Uh, T-A-M-I-N-G-H-I-N-D-A-D-R-A-N-C-E-S at checkout for uh, 10% off. I get a small uh, affiliate commission for that, um, but they have amazing products. Check out Cliff Heist Pure Sleep. Head over to the YouTube channel, Taming uh, YouTube slash Taming Hindrances, um, and check out the review for Cliff Heist Pure Sleep Gen 2 if you're having trouble sleeping or just want a non-habit-forming sleep aid. Um, highly recommended product. Uh, what else? What else? What else? That's it for now. Uh, I'll get another episode together. I'll consult the cards and uh, figure out something else and maybe come up with a new outro here because now we have the new intro. But I will uh, talk to you on the next one. Take care. And uh, maybe a little homework is to uh, go master something. Maybe something simple like, um, like how to make a really good cup of tea. That's a good mastery to have. Take care and I'll talk to you on the next one. Thanks for listening. Come check us out at taminghindrances.com for show notes, links, resources, and more. Also, don't forget to subscribe to the show via iTunes, Stitcher, RSS, or your preferred platform. If you leave us a spiffy review, we might just mention it on the show. Now go be awesome. And just remember to breathe.